We've been talking about building your church. And our theme has been a prayer uh, to ask Jesus as you're building your big capital C church that you'll also build our small C church here at OSC Crowley. Uh, we recognize that the Matthew 16 uh, says that Christ builds his church. Um, it is not our job to build the church, but we also realize that he called us into participation, into co-laboring with him in the building of the church. And so we have a role to fulfill. And as we fulfill our role, he fulfills his. Our role is summed up in our church's vision statement, which is reaching people and building lives. And we just went through the last, I think it was six weeks, talking about, welcome y'all. Y'all can take that out. Yeah, you, 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 can, you can take that out. Um, talking through the, the, the areas of growth that we want to see each person excel and each person advance in um, to make sure that we're setting ourselves up for growth. We're setting ourselves up for playing our part in the building of Christ's church. And so you can go read in Matthew 16, verse 16 to 19. I believe that, uh, you know, part of the keys that he says in verse 19, he gives to human leadership, which Peter in that point was standing. You, you guys can continue along the slides. Uh, Y'all need to kind of just, I don't, I don't mention every slide. You just kind of need to keep going with me and see we're on the third one right now, chapter uh, 16, verse 19, um, as we keep on going. The keys of the kingdom that he mentions to Peter that he would give them is to understand how, how, how we help people live according to God's word. How do we help people change their lifestyles into becoming uh, uh, Christ-like, Christ-centered? And um, that's a part of our role is making disciples and it's helping people follow Jesus as we're following Jesus. Um, and so today I want to talk to you about values. I believe they are, this is one of those keys that if we understand how values operate and we address matters at a value level, we will be able to see growth in our own personal lives as well as those that we are leading. So I want to talk about values with you today. Values are basic and fundamental beliefs that guide and motivate our attitudes and actions. They're fundamental beliefs that guide and motivate our attitudes and actions. Values either dictate or direct our behavior. You can look at what your habits are and you can distill them down to the things that are of utmost importance to you. Um, what's real sobering is when you do that and you realize that you are in the center of all your values. So that's a bit of a, <laughs> that's a wake up call for all of us, especially us as Christians. Um, look at your, uh, your, your last three months activities and everything that you have invested your time, your treasures, and your talents in. And then you can ask yourself, what does that tell me about what I value? You see, we don't have to wonder what we value. Our lifestyles tell us what we value. 
And we can do good self-assessment to ask, okay, good, is these values that I am uh, operating with, are they God-honoring or are they me-focused? Are they me-centered? But changing behavior literally starts with changing the beliefs that undergird our values. It has to start with a truth encounter. It has to start with a truth encounter. You suddenly realize something that you've believed is not accurate or it's not true. And that could happen in this environment. uh, But you know where it often happens most powerfully? Uh, In in trauma. When you hit a crisis. When you hit a a problem in your life that that, that is traumatic. and, and, And in that moment you realize how I've been doing this or what I have been doing is wrong. Either a marriage that falls apart, a child that goes off the rails, uh, or, you know, something else. Financially, things tank and you go like, oh my goodness, what went wrong? Moments like those are moments where we can really ask ourselves, is our beliefs consistent with Scripture? Because our beliefs are what led us to the behaviors that led to the results that we're facing right now. And so to address the thing at the behavior level, we have to come down to the belief level. We have to come down to what is my my basic convictions that caused me to believe and value the things that I valued. Another very powerful place of value transfer is in discipleship. It's where life exchange happens, that life change often ensues the easiest. It's when you get into an environment with a group of people that is slightly different, that approaches things slightly different from you. I remember when I was a student um, studying in university in, in South Africa, there was this, uh, um, uh, this moment in my life where um, something radical happened. I, I've, I've, been, I've been kind of like a, um, a pall, uh, you know, to religion. And um, very stuck in a religious mindset and very critical toward very many churches around me um, that were doing things different from what I had been doing. Um, But I had a lot of good relationships and um, somebody invited me to a life group, to a place where people were discipling one another through relationships and through the Word of God. And, And I came to this life group, I didn't know who, who this life group was affiliated to or anything. All I know is that I knew the guy who invited me and I went along with him and we had an awesome time. I encountered a people that were so committed to Jesus, so, so sold out to his mission and it impressed me. It was different from me. They acted in a grace type of manner that wasn't the same as what I was walking in. I was walking in a critical kind of like, you know, I am, I know better than anybody else kind of manner. Um, and, <laughs> and these people were so loving and so, so accepting of me. And um, even though I felt like I knew more than they did, it was an awesome, which I was very prideful at that time. Um, I saw something that was different than I was used to. And so I came back. So I came back, and again, it was an awesome experience. I started seeing that they approached the Bible slightly different from what I did, and it actually meant and ministered to me the way they did it. It brought me life. And whereas I would always receive condemnation from reading the Word of God, these people loved reading the Word of God and they enjoyed finding truth in it and implementing it in their lives. And I was just kind of like boggled by that because 
That's not the way I experienced the Bible. In fact, I read the Bible religiously because I had to. But truth be told, if I had my own choice, I would stay far away from it. Because every time I would read it, I would feel condemned. I would hate what it tells me about me. Even though I was like a, like a Christian, you know, I, I, I was really a Christian. I became born again years before that. But I, I had a mindset that, that, that didn't understand the life and the freedom and the relationship side of Christianity. And so I went again and I went again. And after a while, I became such good friends with these people that I started hanging out with them socially. And you know what happened? After about a month and a half of visiting this life group, one day one of the guys came to me and said to me, hey, wouldn't you want to come to my church this Sunday? And I was like, yeah, no, you know, I don't really need to go to your church. I have a church, you know, that I go to. And, uh, um, and I, was, I was kind of faithful to my church and I went regularly. And um, <laughs> he said to me, well, when you're ready, just give it a shot. We would love to have you. I said, so by the way, what, what is your church's name? All right. There came the problem. Because that very church that this life group was a part of was one of the churches that I had the most to say about. <laughs> and I was extremely vocal and critical toward people who would go to this church, really accusing them of falling away from the faith. And so here I've been falling away from the faith <laughs> for a month and a half without knowing it. Well, first of all, I was a little bit, I was a little bit, you know, affronted. I was like, oh my goodness, they got me. That's how they get everybody, right? It was all this sweet talking and all this, you know, loving Jesus stuff. And so for a second, they drew back and then I started missing it. I was like, man, those guys might have been onto something. And so one day I took the plunge and I went to a service. And it changed my life, changed my life forever. Now what happened? Somewhere I was encountering a truth. I was encountering something that was different from what I was used to and it confronted what I was believing at that time. And that led to a value change that led to me becoming a, a part of this church that led to me really understanding and hearing my call to ministry. So, if we're going to see life change happen, we have to bring people into an environment, have to have people experience a truth encounter, whether that is when we, we, we catch them when they're in a traumatic moment and we can help them in there, we can minister to them, or we can just invite them. Stop, not wait for somebody to go through a crisis, but invite them into an environment where we live our, the Bible in such a way that it just... It just ministers to them and it challenges their understanding of God, of the church, etc. And soon they will come to a place where they'll be willing to come and give it a chance. And when they're in an environment like we have today, here where the Holy Spirit is just so faithful and where He's so, so sensitive to our, our people, no doubt that person will fall in love with what God is doing here. So, Coming back to values. Values are held in place by beliefs. And if we're going to change um, our values, we need to change our beliefs. But only then will actually we be able to change uh, a, a, a behavior. So a belief becomes a value when you commit to it, grow in it, and implement it through practical prioritization. Oh, what does that mean? 
That simply means that it doesn't just help that you know something new. It means that you have to commit to it. You have to start taking that new belief and implement it through practical ways into your life. In other words, you have to, you have to try it out. You have to give it a chance. And that means prioritization. That means that you're going to start doing things, right, based off of what that belief says. It goes into what James talks about when he says, look, faith without actions are dead. If your faith, your faith don't lead to you doing something about that, you know, maybe it's just you mentally agreeing that that is right or true, but you've not truly committed yourself. Like right now, I believe that this chair will hold me if I lean against it. But it's not faith until I actually go ahead and lean into it and trust it to hold me. Faith, faith is trust. Faith is more than agreement. Faith is banking on the belief that I have, the, 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 the knowledge that I have. And so based off of my experience before, etc. I mean, you know, that could have been the last straw that that chair had. Thankfully, it wasn't because me and Robert would have gone, become real intimate real soon right there. But luckily, you know, for me, this thing held up its end of the bargain. And that's how faith works. It's, it's kind of there's a, there's a commitment from something that, that, it, that, that I trust. And so I lean onto it. I lean into it. So I want to present to you all today the values of OSC. And these really are based on our beliefs of Scripture. And I want to ask each and every one of you to lean into these things. If we're going to create a culture where our church is known by these things, then we're going to have to all take steps to lean onto it, to lean into it, to trust that process and, and, and to see the, the, the culture that will bring a transformation to our community develop here first and then export that to the outside. Now, what I'm presenting to you is both a culture we have and have to improve on. Right? It's, it's like... It's like We've been doing many of these things, but unless we talk about it and unless we continue to commit to it, it will disappear. Because often these are held in place by conscious decision. They're not held in place by comfort. They're held in place because we know that they're the right thing that ought to be done rather than, hey, this is just natural and I'm just, you know, I just do this out of, out of, out of knee-jerk reaction. So it is our culture, but we also have to trust God continually and lean into it continually. And if it's to become a culture, right, it means that it kind of has to have participation. <laughs> like we all participate in our culture in various ways. And, 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 and that's what keeps it in place is that participation. And so my appeal to each and every one of us are that if you discover something today that, that you're, that you're Either it's a truth encounter for you that you, man, I don't I believe that or I don't think that, that you would consider accepting truth in, into your heart here today. And I'm, I'm going to talk about, excuse me, about truth in itself as well. Um, but that's what it's going to take for us to build this kind of culture. So this is who we are, but this is also who we continually striving, strive to be. The first thing that we value that we really value as as a church is the honor of God it's like the big one this is like our 
our reason for existence is we exist to honor God. We exist for his glory. We exist for his exaltation. Ultimately, all of the universe exists for the honor of God. And <laughs> some do it involuntarily. Uh, we get to do it voluntarily. We get to do it purposefully and intentionally. We get to put our, our effort behind it because we have become his family. We have become his children. So what is honor? Honor is a perceived quality of worthiness. It's a perceived quality of worthiness. In other words, it's, it's something that is done by somebody based on their assessment, right? I honor because I deem that person or that thing worthy to receive honor, to be honored. It's great respect or high public esteem. Now, when we refer to the honor of God, it is his quality and his worthiness that we are echoing, that we are uh, repeating. And the Bible calls on us to glorify God, to speak about his glory and to ascribe to him glory and honor. And both those terms, glory and honor, talk about God's intrinsic nature, worth, and character. And, and, and the word glory in the Bible is, 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 is the word that, that you can translate it to weight, to weightiness. In other words, when you take wet clay and you take an, a, a form or a mold and you impress that, that mold onto the wet clay, what happens to the clay? It assumes the form of the mold, right, doesn't it? That's what glory is. So when we say, let your glory come in our lives, what we're actually saying is, Lord, let your mold impress on us so that we might assume your image. Isn't that beautiful? When you glorify God, you are affirming the worth of his mold and you're inviting it to impress on you and change you into his image. You know, the, the, we went on this um, trip to Eureka Springs and we watched the uh, thing called the Passion Play. And um, part of uh, one of the um, pre-show kind of um, uh, activities was that we, we looked at a, a, a presentation of, of a potter that was working a lump of clay. And, and he said so many amazing things, but one of the things, he, he did not even say it, but he did it. Um, and it just impressed me so much. Is in the very beginning, the potter takes the lump of clay and he, and he smacks it onto the wheel. He takes the clay and he goes, pa! And the, wheel, the, the clay goes and sits on that, on that, on that table that turns. It's a stone table. And then he starts working his leg and this thing starts turning. And one of the first thing the potter does is he takes that clay and wherever it landed, he takes it and he goes like this. He gathers it and he centers it in the middle of that wheel. 
I looked at that and I thought to myself, you know what? We all land in the kingdom of God. We get born again and it's like the clay. Come and sit on that wheel. We get put in the kingdom of God by faith through grace. We get saved. We get born again. Bah! We're in the kingdom of God. But one of the first things God wants to do with you in your life is he wants to take you and he wants to center you. That is a violent moment. All of the rest of the pottering is like this delicate handling of the clay. But that one moment there isn't delicate. It's rough. He basically says to that clay, you're not going anywhere else. You're not going to turn on this end of the thing or on that end of the thing. You're going to turn around the axle right here in the middle. And he presses it. He forces it to be centered. And once it's centered, he starts shaping it. You know what that centeredness is? It's when we become centered on Jesus Christ, when our lives um, are, are taken and we, are, we, we repent of being us and ourselves focused and ourselves centered and we said yes to his lordship. We says yes to him being the leader and our lives now revolving around him, no longer revolving around ourselves. You see, the potter is going to have a rough time to shape you if you're turning all over the show. And for him to impress his mold on you, the best place for us to be is to be centered on him, around him. Isaiah 66, verse 18 to 19 says, says this, For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set among them, um, and will, I, will, I will set a sign among them, and uh, I will send survivors from them to the nations, and he names a couple of them, to, to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my fame nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations." among the nations. I want you guys to see just how God's intention is for his glory, for his honor to be shared all across the globe to all nations. And as a part of us coming into the honor of God, being centered around his purposes, we have to realize that we don't exist for him. He don't exist for us. We exist for him. And it's one of the most difficult things for Christians to get because it's rough. It's rough when he takes you off of your plans, when he takes you off of your hopes, dreams, and desires. And he says to you, come and be centered around me. That moment is kind of rough. But if you will allow him to do that, then he will be able to shape you and to perfect you, and to create you, and to purpose you for whatever it is that you need to do. But if you resist it, have you ever seen what happens to clay that's not centered? It flops. It, 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 it turns and at one moment it just goes, and what, what needs to happen? It needs to go from scratch, center again, remolding again, start from scratch. How many of you had things in your life that happened and you just went blah, blah, blah. <laughs> if you're off center you're bound for the blah, blah, blah. that's why he does not that's why he does not 
give you the option of not becoming centered. That's why Jesus is not giving you the option of receiving him as your savior, but not as your Lord. It has to be both. Because if it's not both, you are bound for destruction. And he does not want that for you. He wants you strong, beautiful, purposeful, and useful. All right, I lost everything here, so let me just re rebuild this real quick. Hi. John 5, 23 says, So that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Revelation 15, 4. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. We are called for God's honor and for his glorification. And because we value God's honor, we prioritize the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We prioritize worship and we prioritize relationship. Prioritization leads to you changing your beliefs so that your beliefs will impact your reality, your behavior. You will start changing your behavior. But we need to understand that the Lordship of Jesus Christ is fundamental. So what is lordship? It's submitting to him as your leader. It's allowing him to call the shots. That's why it's difficult. <laughs> That's why it's rough. Because I have to step off the throne and I have to give control away. But if you do it, you'll see the benefit. You'll see the result of it. The second thing is worship. What is worship? Worship, in essence, is acknowledging his lordship. We've said it in the past, and it's worth saying again, that you haven't worshipped until you've bowed your heart to him. In essence, worship is bowing. It's bowing down to him. Singing a song is not worship until you actually mean to do what you say. Until you mean what you say to him. Then it becomes worship because now you're expressing that submissive adoration to him. Praise and worship, praising and worshiping someone always involves expressing their worth and also committing and pledging my allegiance to them. If I worship something, I'm committing to it. I pledge my allegiance. I'm saying, I'm going to be loyal to you and to nothing else. So that's why lordship and worship are so closely related and form the foundation of our ability to build relationship with God. God wants to build amazing relationships with each and every one of us. But God will not build a relationship where he is not the Lord. He will wait. He will wait at that juncture for you to submit, for you to say, yes, Lord, I receive you as my leader. And in the meantime, there will be a platonic relationship, but it won't grow much deeper than that because the first thing that needs to happen is you need to be centered and you need to acknowledge that centering and uh, commit to that centering. If you do that, your life will start honoring God automatically because your life will revolve around him. 
And look at me, I don't mean that that means that you have to, you know, <laughs> step out of the world and not be involved in your work or in your career. Or, no, no, no. It actually means that it's just wherever you're involved in, that Jesus will become involved in that too. So my application question for us for, for this value is like, how can we start prioritizing his lordship in every aspect of our lives? How can we engage differently in worship that truly and honestly says that we have bowed our hearts to you, Lord, and that we're expressing our personal opinion, our personal held appreciation to him? Next time you sing, how can you express your thanksgiving to him personally? It's like, what can you say to him? That comes from your heart. In song, but through the song, you remember the thing that you're thankful for. And you make it personal, not just generic. That's when it becomes worship. Before it's personal, it's just singing. The minute it becomes personal, now it's you worshiping. The second value that we build on is, is truth. I said to you guys last week that, that somewhere in my life I decided to, to commit to truth, to, value, to, to, to marry truth. And wherever it leads, I don't, I don't care, really. Uh, whatever it, it challenges in my life, whatever it forces me to change, I don't really care. If it's uncomfortable, I don't really care. But why? Because truth matters. Objective truth matters. And if you will commit to truth, it'll challenge some things in your life. I have to be honest, there have been a handful of times where, you know, in my journey as a theologian where I had to step away from positions I held because I understood them to be not, not right according to Scripture. And, and sometimes we get taught things, you know, and, and, and sometimes we get taught things by the place that we associate with. But I want to challenge you, before you truly bank on something, go and test everything on God's Word. You have to ask yourself whether that theological belief you have, if uh, that is really in Scripture, if that exists in there. And there's been a handful of times where I've had to go like, man, I, I, I hear these preachers, but I, I'm honest, I, that's not what it says. This is not what this is about. I don't know why they're preaching that, but if I read the context correctly, and, and, and I, would, I would ask around to say, hey, am I reading the context wrong here? What, is this talking about this or, 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 or is that scripture used out of, out of context? And when I found that a scripture was used out of context, I've had to change. I've had to reject certain songs that we've sung in the past because it used scripture in the wrong way. But look, I'm willing to admit a mistake because I'm married to truth. I'm not married to my reputation. I'm not married to anything other than living on the truth. And that's how we lead here. That's how we operate here. We're married to truth, whether it makes you uncomfortable or not. In fact, if it does not make you uncomfortable, then there's an issue, right? Because no one of us are perfect yet. <laughs> And so we, we can all expect to be uncomfortable a little bit now and then. And that's why we make such a big effort to, to, to relationally connect with people, to let people know, look, even though there's truth that you need to hear, I want you to first know that I love you before I share the truth with you. Because truth shared in love is what makes a difference, not truth shared in judgment. 
And so that's why you need to know you're welcome here. No matter where you're at in your journey with Jesus, you're, and you will stay welcome here forever. But we're not going to not share truth here because we want you to stay. If the truth offends you, then basically the truth just does what the Bible says it would do. The truth is offensive. And though we don't mean it offensively, and we try to say it in ways that aren't all adding to the offense, the truth is going to challenge you. And here at OSC, we're okay with that, for the truth to challenge us. And I want you to lean into it when truth challenges you. Um, so that's why we started that saying, right believing leads to right living, right? Right believing leads to right living. If you don't believe the right thing, it's going to end up in your behavior. And to try and behavior manage, right? Oh, I get angry, so I just need to manage my anger. No, you'll never manage your anger. I have this, I have this problem in my, so I just need to manage that behavior. You'll never manage behavior. You have to change your belief that changes your values, that changes your attitudes, that results in behavioral change. Change happens when your belief system changes. What you believe about you changes. That's why I challenged y'all to no longer call yourselves sinners. We used to be sinners when we were separated from Christ. But now that we are in Christ, we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you cannot start overcoming temptation if your default belief about yourself is that I don't have the ability to stand up against this temptation, which is what a sinner is. Sinners sin. Righteous people do righteousness, but we don't do it perfectly yet. So what is your belief system? That has to change. What is the truth? So sometimes I say stupid things, right? Because some people might think, like, man, how can he say that? I would rather say it and be aligned with truth than try to manage the situation for fear of what's going to happen if I say that. <laughs> because I've committed to truth. John 8.32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth is what sets us free. But it's not just knowing truth. This word, you shall know the truth, is the same word that Genesis uses when it says, Adam knew his wife and, he begat, and they begat a child. There's a little more than knowing. I know Chuck, right? <laughs> Let me tell you, I know my wife. And I have the proof out there in the, <laughs> in the children's facility, right? This is what it talks about when it says, I know the truth. I've committed my allegiance to her. My absolute commitment to her. I have made myself vulnerable in the most intimate of way toward her. That's what this means. I, have, I know truth. I have committed myself to that knowledge. I've made myself vulnerable. This knowledge can hurt me. That's how vulnerable I've made myself to it. And I've pledged my allegiance to it. That's why we do prioritize prayer and Bible reading. Proverbs 15 says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever re heeds reproof is prudent. 
Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. For the first verse before that, I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every false way. Matthew 16, I still have so much to tell you, Jesus said, but you cannot bear it now. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak what he hears. He will declare to you what is to come and he will glorify me by taking from what is mine and disclosing it to you. That's why we make such a big deal about prayer and about the word. But trying to, <laughs> to convince yourself to read more Bible is behavior management. Understanding that truth is what helps me make sense of life is a value that'll make you seek time to read Bible, seek time to press into the Holy Spirit in prayer and build relationship with Him to gain knowledge, to gain understanding. If we don't understand our commitment to truth, we will never have true motivation to read the Bible and to press in in prayer. That's where you get your answers. That's where you gain understanding. That's where you discern every false way. If that is your conviction and your belief, you will not do anything in life without consulting scripture, without praying about it first. So when we have these prayer bands, pray first. This is not behavior, this is belief. This is our conviction. I can't do anything before I've prayed into it. Before I've heard the Holy Spirit confirm in my spirit. Before I've seen the word of God affirm that this is okay. This is not a false way. So again, what are your beliefs? What do you value? Lean into this value of truth. And start committing to it by prioritizing prayer and Bible reading. Do you have time where you do it in the week? Do you have devotional time with God? This year, we've been walking through the Bible chapter by chapter with our daily devos. And it's easy to sign up for it. Just go on our app and sign up for the daily devos. You'll get a short five to eight minute message about that chapter for that day. And it has the message, the, the, the actual chapter. It has it right there for you to also read. But prioritize that with us. The more we head into the word of God, the more we encounter the truth that is able to shift our beliefs about our reality. The third value is people. People. Many of you have this testimony that you came into this church and you felt at home. You felt welcomed. And to be honest, it's because there is this value. But we need to continue to lean into it. So I want you guys to try and get to know one another. Ask one another, who are you? Where do you work? What do you do? Uh, make a point of not just coming and going, make a point of leaning into and prioritizing relationships. We really love our people, but we also make no apologies for trying to reach people that, that, that are lost, that are confused, that are hurting. And we, we pursue that. And we encourage others to pursue that. So part of being an OSCer means that you see the world outside. It's not just about us, y'all. It's about the people we work with. It's about the people we shop at. 
It's about the businesses we interact with and how we interact with them to build that kind of relationship that would allow us to invite them into a deeper and a closer walk, a deeper and a closer relationship with Jesus. We value lost people. We don't ignore lost people. You cannot reach something if you're ignoring it. So that person who is persecuting you, who is mocking you, who is, who is, those are the very people that God wants to reach. You pray for those people. You bless them. The Bible says bless your enemy. Don't curse them. Bless them because that's the only chance they have of receiving blessing. <laughs> is if you actually ask God, Lord, pour a blessing out on them. Change their hearts. The way we live differently among them shows them something different that they can aspire to. Listen to God's approach to this, to people. 1 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as uh, some understand slowness. No, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's approach with people is that he wants everyone to come to repentance. Who have you written off? Oh, that guy's never going to change. Oh, there's no hope for that person. Please recall that decision. Recall, recant that declaration. Start praying over that person. When I left school um, and I became fired up, fired up my relationship with Jesus, I started remembering all my friends from high school that we used to mock drug with. What's, how do you say that in English? Uh, uh, mess, up, mess around with, right? And I was like, Lord, how do, how do, how, how do I reach them? I, I, I don't even have contact details of them anymore. They're, they're back home in my hometown. I'm not even there anymore. What do I do? And the, Bible, uh, the, 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 the Holy Spirit dropped it into my heart and said, whenever I remind you of somebody, you pray for them. Whenever you think of, have you, have you walked around and you're like, oh, I wonder what that guy is. Man, that guy, you know, he used to sit there in that class, he used to do this class with me. Oh, I, wonder, I can't even remember his name, but I remember his face. I wonder where he's at. God said to me, every time that happens, you pray a prayer of salvation over that person. And so I started doing it. Every time I would remember somebody from my past, I would pray, and I, it would be a 20-second prayer. I would pray out loud. I said, Lord, I pray that I will see that person with me one day in heaven. Please make happen whatever needs to make happen for them to hear the gospel and for them to hear the truth. If you can reconnect me with them, I commit to sharing the gospel with them. But if I never see them again here on earth, I pray right now in your name that I'll see them in heaven. I said, amen. And I would forget about them. This went on for about two years. And then I started getting contacts over Facebook from the past. Hey man, I just wanted to see how you are. Where are you? I'm no 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 no. I'm like, hey, you know, this and this. I'm you know in parts. I'm you know in ministry. He says, man, it's funny you should say that because I really felt that I need to contact you because I gave my life to Jesus, and I felt you should know. These are people that I messed around with. These are people that they might not have even known. Well, they knew that I was a Christian, but they knew also that I was a very compromising Christian, right? <laughs> they knew both sides of the coin of my life. Um, 
And, and I lost literally count after a couple of years the amount of people that contacted me, hit me up and said, I changed my life and I thought you should know. I don't know why, but I just wanted to let you know. And then some would call me. They were like, man, I need to say I'm sorry to you. I had so many calls like that. Guys would just reconnect with me. They were just, they were convicted. And I believe because I was praying for them, the Holy Spirit said to them, you need to tell that guy because he needs to know what happened because it needs to build his faith. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Let me talk to you about this and I don't think I'm gonna get through the whole sermon to, today so I might, I might continue this one next week to conclude it. But a very, very important part about our value of people is Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and then he says, I'll be with you forever. I want to talk about two concepts there. The first one is make disciples. So by the time Jesus says this to his disciples, how many disciples are there, right? Bible reveals roughly about 150 odd followers that he had at that time that were true followers of his, right? Um, though he did not tell this message to all of them. It's not exactly always sure about who all he told this specific words to but at least we know that he taught this to the 12 disciples go make disciples of all nations so when you're starting a new religion how many followers are there of that religion just a handful right so when i tell you now go make disciples of all the nations what is your immediate conclusion am i saying to you go to this handful of followers that is already following me and help them follow me better or is your conclusion oh i need to go to the people who are not followers yet and i need to help them become followers what's your conclusion it's the latter hello that is what jesus's disciples heard when he told them go make disciples he heard them go preach the gospel to lost people Go tell people that don't know about me about what I've done for them and call them to repent and start following me. That is what Jesus' assignment was. That's the mandate he placed on the church. Go make disciples. It meant go and spend time in areas where Christianity is not being followed, it's not being pursued. How many of you live and work in areas like that? Good. You're on your mission field. You're where you're supposed to be. Now you just need to start doing what you're supposed to do. And that's make disciples. Make disciples isn't about the church. It's 90% about the lost. And so at OSC, we value relationships with the lost, but because we're going to build relationships with the lost and we're going to be in bad company, we need to make sure that we have enough good company so that our character don't get messed up. That's why you have to be in the local church. You have to be connected in relationships, be in a discipleship relationship here to the 10% of discipleship that is about follow me as I follow Jesus so that you'll be stayed strong, so your faith can be built, so that you're progressing on your journey 
as you then go out and tell people what the Lord has done for you and invite them to follow you as you follow him. That's the make disciples part. Let me end with the all nations part. The word there for nations is the word ethnos. What do we get from that word, ethnos? Ethnicity. He called us to make disciples of all ethnicities. Because we value people, we strive, we strive for diversity. It breaks my heart that Sundays are the most segregated day of the week. Let me tell you something. It does not honor God. It pains my heart. God died for every single person on this planet. Every single person on this planet. So I want to appeal to you. Please start actively building relationship with people that are not of the same ethnicity as you. Let me tell you something. It's scary to walk into a new church where it's 99% just one ethnic group represented. It's scary. I want to say this about our church. Our church is going to represent our region. And it's going to happen because we're going to start valuing people of all ethnicities and pursue a diverse church that represents not only our community but also the kingdom of God. And some of you might say, well, I don't see color. I don't see color. I don't think like that. And I, and I understand why you say that. But the problem with being colorblind is that we don't get to enjoy color. God did not call us to be colorblind. God called us to use color to make the world beautiful. So I appeal to you. I appeal to you to not only make people that are of other ethnicities feel welcome, but make them know they're needed. Make them know they're valued as you would any other person. Who do you know in your life that you've kind of like, man, I'm friends with that person, but I've never thought of inviting them to my church. I've never thought of inviting them into my into my discipleship journey. If you truly are colorblind, it means that you nine out of 10 times actually do have a relationship with people of other ethnicities. It's time to start drawing those relationships toward Jesus. And let us enjoy the beauty of color. There's something beautiful about a multicultural environment. And in this, in this country is kind of different because we kind of feel like we're all Americans, right? So American culture, let me tell you, <laughs> don't be fooled. 
There are differences in our cultures. They're beautiful, and they can be celebrated. There are benefits that come from diversity. And we want to see God glorified through that. I want us to stand today. We're going to end this one halfway. I have two more that I need to discuss, but I kind of knew I wouldn't get to them all. So <laughs> I was slightly prepared for this. Remember your behaviors are informed by your values. So if you've never really even bothered but doing something, it's because you probably don't have a value for it, right? It's probably because you, your belief system hasn't been challenged with that truth, right? So as today we're sitting in a moment of truth, I want to ask you to let that truth transform you. Don't brush it off. Don't go like, ah, you know, that's for that guy. That's for you. That's for you. God wants you to grow in any and all of these aspects. Because it honors Him. <laughs> yeah, so let's pray. Father, we just come and open up our hearts, Lord. Lord, we want to commit to your honor first and foremost. Realize that we are, we are yours. You've bought us with a price. An expensive price. We don't belong to ourselves anymore, God. We live and exist for your glory and for your honor. And God, to do that, we, we commit ourselves to your truth. No matter how hard it is, no matter how challenging it is, God, all we want is, is to let your truth come and transform us. Let your mold come and sit on us, Lord, so that we might think like you, act like you. We might have your boldness. We might have your power to affect things in our lives and around us, God. And God, I pray that we might start seeing people, all people, lost people, confused people, hurting people, people that look different, act different, think different, talk different than us, that we might have such a desire for all people to come into your kingdom and to receive your life-giving word, that we will go out there and make disciples passionately, actively, no matter where we find ourselves, Lord. We know that if the desire is there, God, that you will move on us with the skill. You'll move on us with how the hows of what we need to do. But right now, we just commit our hearts to that. We commit our hearts to you. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.